Hello and welcome. Today we're going to take a deep dive into the history of the Cilician Pirates. So this presentation will have six parts of varying length and they will be dealing with different aspects of the history of uh, Cilician Pirates. There's uh, how they came up to power, the different stories involving the, no different like historical events involving them there's the different interactions they had they weren't all negative some of them were kind of funny and we will be talking about like the land where they come from their history their origins and just the world of the mediterranean in the mid second century to the mid first century all right and I like to add too that this is the most I think this will be the most complete history of the Cilician Pirates out there because when you search up Cilician Pirates and I've noticed this it's um it's just one story it's mostly just the story of uh Julius Caesar and how he was captured by the Cilician Pirates and put up for ransom it's a very well-known story, very well documented by a lot of historians, in uh, especially in that time period. Plutarch had uh, recounted that, and um, yeah, that's just one of many stories. They're very fascinating, and I had a lot of fun researching and uh, learning more about these pirates in the world of the Mediterranean. So, here we go. Alright, so for this first section, beginning the presentation, we're going to talk about who the Cilician Pirates were. So, in this section we're going to get to know the Cilician Pirates, why were they so successful, their early successes, their rise in wealth and power, and uh, also keep in mind during the mid-2nd century to mid-1st century BCE, the uh, anytime a pirate was mentioned, it was assumed or just you know, it was a Cilician pirate. So, and uh, before we begin, I have a quote from the historian, the Greek historian Plutarch, that will give you a good idea of how the character of the Cilician pirates. And it is there was nothing but music and dancing, bank banqueting, and revels all along the shore. So, they knew how to have a good time. Moving right along, in the country Cilicia, which is now a geographical region in southern Turkey, and it is situated on the northeastern extreme of the northeastern end of the Mediterranean Sea. So, it is at this place where lots of pirates began to appear during the mid-2nd century BCE, around 150 BCE, and these Cilician pirates started out with around two or three ships and began their pirating campaign around the, the Greek islands. So, let me get out the pointer here. So, around here, they started here, and they would move around towards the coast, keeping close around the Greek islands here, messing around in uh, Cyprus a little bit and 
they actually came to Crete, where they made the island Crete another big pirate haven. So it was Cilicia and Crete. Those were the big pirate havens at the time. And they would continue to conquer ships and eventually grow in great wealth and power. So let's talk about the background of the Mediterranean and this time period. So this opportunity for growth and expansion is likely because Rome was more concerned with conflicts on land. And if you look on the map here, Rome is all the way on the other side towards the west. So they're in the western Mediterranean. And Cilicia is all the way over here in the eastern end. So they didn't have, Rome didn't have a nice, uh, very well put together naval strength or navy at all. And well, they did have a navy in uh, 311 BCE. But it wasn't very, very like their main priority. And they didn't want to spend the expenses at the time to make all the travel arrangements and fit out all these uh, ships and squadrons of ships and soldiers to go to Cilicia. And at the time, due to the fall of Ptolemaic Egypt down here, right around down here where Egypt is, and uh and carthage carthage is right underneath rome right around that area and the decline of the seleucid empire seleucid empire is around here and they came and had they own land up here they actually own the cilicia at the time so they span here here and more towards the east in the Middle East so and all of these uh, factors of the decline and fall and this like lack of government power in the Mediterranean they can all be attributed to the Roman Empire I mean Carthage was burned to the ground and it was a lot of chaos and it gave a lot of opportunity for pirates to come and go into that lifestyle after their Carthage their land was destroyed they they wouldn't want to be slaves right so they would come and be pirates and in the Seleucid Empire they have a bunch of civil wars dynastic civil wars and there's also the Maccabean revolt and uh, things like that so the Cilician pirates all along this coast around this area they were in a no man's land kind of where they were free to conquer explore and establish themselves as like the rulers of the Mediterranean no one was suppressing them they were free reign to do whatever they want and that just escalated over hundred year period and it took a very long time for Rome to deal with that. Although Rome did assess the problem circa 140 BCE when a man named Scipio Aemilanus, he was a Roman general and statesman, 
he was sent to scout the issue with piracy, to scout the Cilician pirates on the eastern end of the Mediterranean. So he would report that the surrounding governments, notably the declining Seleucid Empire, they were too weak to suppress them. And uh, however, Rome didn't see them as a threat at the time and actually benefited from the slave trade facilitated by the Seleucian pirates. So they found it more beneficial to keep them around. There wasn't really too much issues between them. And they just kept them around for now, didn't decide to take action. The other main factor that allowed the growth of piracy in the Mediterranean was the many wars and civil wars that occurred throughout the Mediterranean during this time period. I already mentioned a few, but some other instances include the, I already said, Maccabean revolts, the Seleucid dynastic wars, the fall of Carthage, which is actually, let me mark that. Carthage would be right around here and the Seleucid Empire would be all along this zone here. They ruled over Cilicia and the decline of Ptolemaic Egypt. Egypt is right here. And the reason for Egypt was a lack of military strength and a lack of natural resources. So what happened also is the three servile wars in Rome. There were slave revolts in Rome, all around Rome, because Rome, they had a huge slavery uh, economy dependent on slaves. They took slaves from the peoples they conquered. They used them in farms and used them a lot for manual labor and things like that, things of that nature. So, according to the Roman historian Cassius Dio, many war fugitives joined the Cilician pirates. Like I said before, it was either become a slave or become a pirate. So, that was the only attractive option at the time, and that also attributed to the rise of the piracy in the Mediterranean. One of the more surprising sources of their success and prolonged activity in the Mediterranean came from their the people that owned their land. During the mid-2nd century BCE, the Seleucid Empire ruled over most of the parts of Cilicia, but didn't have the strength to suppress the pirates or the piracy activities. So, Diotitis, Diodotus, Tryphon, the king of the Seleucid Empire from 142 to 138 BCE, supported them and didn't suppress them because like the Romans, the Seleucid Empire benefited from the slave trade that the pirates provided. They were also big on slavery too. So moving right along. So during the third Mithriotic War, between the Roman Republic and Mithridates VI, Eupator of Pontus. Here's a picture of him right here. So what happened is, well, the war started in uh, 73 to 63 BCE. That's how long the war was. 
after Mithridates VI captured Roman territory of Bithynia, located in modern-day Turkey, around uh, 74 BCE. So, Bithynia is right around here in Turkey, in that area, and so Mithridates VI allied with the Cilician pirates to weaken the Roman Empire. And what Mithridates VI would actually do was he would donate troops to the pirates along with ships, crude ships, and money for new pirate units. So he would outfit the Cilician pirates. And the map here shows the land along, shows the kingdom, kingdom of Pontius land over here in the purple also. And it also, it also shows the kingdom of Armenia. That will be the green, but I'm kind of covering it. But it is there. Alright. Well, the great wealth and power also come from the many interferences they made to supply ships. For instance, they would rob Roman ships carrying, Roman supply ships carrying and transporting corn, other provisions like uh, raw materials, weapons, armor around Sicily, Corsica, and other places. It was their trade. So eventually, growing more bold, the Cilician pirates would plunder Ostia. Here's Ostia on the map here. And they would burn down the city, the port, and ships. They continued to plunder cities along the coast, around here, and they would leave Roman citizens in a great panic and frenzy. This was likely, you know, it was likely encouraged by Mithridates VI, who allied with the Cilician pirates to weaken the Roman Republic. I should also mention that what they plundered was the city here, Ostia, and a consular Roman fleet right around Ostia here. So they burned down all those ships and the cities around the coastline and they caused great panic to the Romans. And also keep in mind that the Cilician pirates were not farmers or craftsmen. They depended on pillaging ships and cities to get the resources they needed to survive. Because in their geographic location also, Cilicia, it's in the desert. They didn't have these, uh, well even if they could, they probably wouldn't be farming. They're pirates, so that's a big aspect of why they plundered so much. Cilician pirates gained a lot of wealth from slave trade between the Seleucids and the Roman Republic. So what they would do was they also did they slave trade, they engaged in the slave trade, and they also captured people of importance and put them up for ransom. So having established a vast network in the Mediterranean Sea, they were able to engage in the slave trade with the Roman, they engaged with the Roman elite. Farmers needed slaves to uh, work their plantations and the Seleucid Empire. So, how they would gather slaves was by capturing and intercepting supply ships, 
they would rob the ship of food and supplies and take the crew as slaves to sell. Most of the slave trade in the Mediterranean occurred on the Greek island Delos or Delos. Other places include Alexandria and Egypt and Rhodes, another Greek island. However, if the crew had a person of prominence, if they looked rich or important in any way, they would keep them as hostages and put a large ransom on them. That captive was, you know, not allowed to leave until they were paid in full, and some of the most famous captives ransomed by the Cilician pirates include Gaius Julius Caesar, the most important, or the most famous one, I should say, and the one most well documented and talked about in the internet. Next one, Antonia. She was a daughter of Marcus Antonius. He was a general that also suppressed the Seleucian pirates. Next one, Publius Clodius Pulcher, who we will talk about later on. He was a street agitator in Rome. He caused a lot of problems, a lot of uproar, and of course many more. So the Cilician pirates being the only dominant power over the Mediterranean Sea, they made many great achievements. Like I said before, they were in a no man's land, right around here, Cilicia. All the governments around them were declining or they weren't powerful enough, they didn't have the resources to suppress them. So they can do basically whatever they wanted and they owned the sea. So what they, what they were able to achieve was very great. They were able to gather large arsenals of weaponry like those used in large-scale wars and Plutarch, uh, Plutarch, the Greek historian that I mentioned before, he made a long list of additional accomplishments. Here's a quote from Plutarch. No, a quote from A General History of the Pirates. Cilician pirates made commodious harbors, set up watchtowers and beacons all along the coast of Cilicia, that they had a mighty fleet well equipped and furnished with galleots of oars, manned not only with men of desperate courage, but also with expert pilots and mariners. They had their ships of force and light pinnaces for cruising and making discoveries and all no less than a thousand sail. They had a thousand ships during their period where they were doing piracy. Over, over the course of a hundred years, they had a thousand ships. And they were setting up um, like strongholds, kind of, across Cilicia. They had watchtowers, all those types of things. They were like their own little empire. So, additionally, having around a thousand ships at their disposal, they were very ostentatious in their displays. They had a lot of money. Their stern and quarters were gilded in gold, their oars plated with silver, and their sails colored purple. These colors are what symbolize royalty, power, and wealth. So, they were clearly trying to show 
that they were very powerful, they had the money, they had the power, and they were the kings of the Mediterranean pretty much. So these Cilician pirates also wreaked terror on land, mostly land governed by Rome. And they, hold on, this is a quote from a general history of pirates also. They, Cilician pirates, took and sacked no less than 400 cities, laid several others under contributions, plundered the temples of the gods, and enriched themselves with the offerings deposited in them. They often landed bodies of men who not only plundered the villages along the seacoast, but ransacked the fine houses of the noblemen along the Tiber. Alright. Furthermore, the Cilician pirates were also known for their cruel customs done to their victims. For instance, they would... So what they would do... This is very interesting. Well, I, would, I shouldn't say that, but... They used to tie their prisoners back to back and throw them overboard. And other times, they would force Roman victims to hang out of the ladder of their ship. And so they threw them overboard in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. I didn't write this one down, but the thing I meant to say was interesting was once they had once they captured a ship and took all the crew members of that ship on their ship and uh, looked through them. If they found a Roman, they there's a two different narratives that I found. They would dress them as like a Greek, I don't know, athlete I think it was or something like that and they would act scared if they revealed themselves as a Roman and they would beg for mercy and stuff like that the pirates would beg for mercy and if they saw that the Roman captive was uh, you know being prideful and believed them they would continue to throw them overboard in the middle of the ocean so I didn't write that down because I don't know if that's accurate it doesn't seem accurate to me it seems a little too out there, but however cool they may appear, the Cilician pirates were also religious. According to Plutarch, they are allegedly one of the first groups to follow Mithraism. Mithraism is a mysterious cult where adherents worship Mithras, an Iranian god, which makes sense because they're right here in Turkey, they adopted a god around Iran. So he's an Iranian god who was the god of order, friendship, and contract. Ironically, this religion will also find its way to Rome and be known as Roman Mithraism in the first century CE. So it was brought over to Rome here, Mithraism, and they found themselves... Here's a quote from Plutarch talking about how religious they were. They themselves offered strange sacrifices upon Mount Olympus and performed certain secret rites or religious mysteries, among which those of Mithras have been preserved to our own time, having received their previous institution from them. So that's very interesting. Alright, now we have a good idea of the background, who they were, how powerful they were. So in this second part of the presentation, we're going to be taking a look at the possible arsenal and ships available to the 
Solution Pirates. So we know that they received a lot of support from Mithridates VI and conquered a lot of coastal ports and towns, turning them into pirate havens and strongholds. And they also had uh, around a thousand ships, very powerful. So in this section, we're going to take a look at the possible strength that the Solution Pirates had. So part two, possible ships and arsenal. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at the ships and arsenal of the Roman Republic, the Seleucid Empire, and the Kingdom, Kingdom of Pontius to get a better idea of how well outfitted they were. Alright, so as I mentioned before, the Seleucid Empire actually ruled over the land in Cilicia. And, but however, they didn't have a strong naval presence either that I could find online. They had the navy, but they were mostly also a land-based uh, empire, like Rome. However, the Cilician pirates would move around the Mediterranean Sea, conquering mostly Roman provinces that likely held Roman weapons, armor, and ships. In addition, the Cilician pirates were in alliance with Mithridates VI, and so for that reason, it's likely that the arsenal of the Cilician pirates were similar to those in the Seleucid Empire, including the Roman Empire too. So they had the Seleucid Empire, the Roman Empire, and the Kingdom of Pontius. So for this reason, it's worth looking into the Roman Empire ships and arsenal, as well as the Seleucid Empire's arsenal, which is likely the same as the Kingdom of Pontius, at least during the lifetime of the Cilician pirates, because the Kingdom of Pontius was actually conquered by the Seleucid Empire throughout most of the Cilician pirates' timeline, like I already said. I'll get into that more soon, I believe. So, as mentioned before, the Roman Empire was a mostly land-focused power that did little in the way of protecting the Mediterranean Sea. In fact, Rome actually learned and perfected their shipbuilding practice from the people they conquered, notably the Phoenicians, Car Carthaginians, the Egyptians, and the Greeks. It was only in the late 4th century BCE, circa 311 BCE, that Rome actually set up a committee to develop a Roman navy. Then, by 256 BCE, during the First Punic War, Rome had a navy of around 330 ships at their disposal, with more improvements in the centuries to come, of course. So the Roman Empire made their ships with water waterproofed wood and utilized sail and oars for movement. Ships were created for both commercial and military endeavors, so to satisfy both needs and the various scenarios that may come up, that may come up in war, many different ships were made. Many different types of ships were made. Of course, there were the supply ships that carried food and provisions, but there were also many different warships. Some include the Quinqueremes, Triremes, Hexremes, Polyremes, Quadriremes, 
Trireremes, Liburnias, Desteries, and the list goes on and on and on. So the ship most widely used in the Roman Republic and I believe the Seleucids also and the most famous warship, most famous ancient warship that I hear about all the time everywhere is the Triremes. The ship had 170 oars in total with three rows on each side of the ship. The sails were square shaped and were held by two main masts. At the rear of the ship there were two steering oars. At the very front of the ship was a bronze tipped battering ram. It was able to travel at speeds up to 60 miles per day. Or, surprisingly, if manned by experienced crews up to 180 miles a day, three times that of a regular crew. So the ship could carry around 200 men and had a weight limit of 6 tons. Naval combat, the ship had a large drawbridge, well some did, called a Corvus. It had a large drawbridge that allowed the Romans to board enemy ships. The other method for, for boarding ships was ramming an enemy ship on the side in hopes that it would sink or that the ship was put in a position where it was easier for the Romans to board their ship. So before boarding an enemy ship, the archers would fire arrows at the enemy and other crew members would use grappling hooks to pull the ships to closer together. Very interesting. Popular or widely used ship in this time period was the Quadrireme. This was a Spanish-inspired ship that acted more as an escort for heavily armed units like legionaries, like legionnaires, and all of their army equipment. The ship had on each side four rows of oars, and it was approximately four meters wide, 39 meters long. It was incredibly difficult to sink, and often carried and often carried ballistas, army units, and catapults. It was one of the largest Roman ships in the, Rome, in the Mediterranean Sea. It was able to carry cavalry, uh, artillery, as you can see, ballistas, catapults, and it was very large, 39 meters long. So, very interesting. Another ship that was actually confirmed to be used by the Solution Pirates is the Hemiola. The Hemiolas were a lightweight, high-speed ship that was often used for long-distance hit-and-run operations. The ship could carry around 30 soldiers and 180 oarsmen. So naturally it would be very popular with the pirates because they're not they're in there, they're trying to get in, get out, to avoid a possible Roman ship from a higher, more powerful and experienced navy like the Roman Republic. So they'd hit and run, take their equipment, they would steal the other ship's equipment, take their people, and they want to get out of there as soon as possible. Get their ransom, get back on land, and wait to get their money and to bring them straight to the slave market so they can do their slave trade. 
foreign nation like most of Rome's ships. This one was adapted from the Phoenicians and this is La Liburnia. This ship could carry 40 centurions and 140 oarsmen for a crew. The ship the speed of the ship is hypothesized by scholars to be around 7 to 9 knots, fairly fast, and its possible size was likely 4 meters wide and 24 to 33 meters long. Very long ship and fairly fast, so interesting. It could, I can see how it can be useful, very cool. Another ship is the Hexarim. This was a very large and intimidating ship. It was not very common and acted as a flagship. Each side had six rows of oars and required around 300 oarsmen. And the ship is 41 meters long and had archer towers at each end, which allowed archers to survey the seas and have an advantage in firing ballistic missiles or arrows at enemies. This is a flagship, so this is saying like this is the most intimidating presence they have on sea. So if a Cilician pirate was around, they're in their little hemiola, they're gonna retreat as soon as possible, get in, get out, and avoid contact with a huge ship like this. Alright, so the last ship on this list is the Roman merchant supply ships. These of course were a favorite target of the Cilician pirates. So these ships were slow and difficult to maneuver, making them very easy targets. These ships were responsible for transporting a large array of goods, such as grain, raw materials, things of that nature. These ships had a V-shaped hull and double planking allowing, allowing the ship to carry between 70 to 600 tons of goods of packaging. The largest merchant supply ships were about 46 meters long, 14 meters tall, and had beams towering at 14 meters. These ships utilized square sails, one to three masts, and had a smaller triangle shaped sail that the romans called the suparum at the bow at the bow of the ship the amount of oarsmen varied depending on the size of the merchant supply ship we have a good idea of the ships that were around the mediterranean during this time period so now we're going to look into the armies so first we're going to look at the Roman Republic armies. So during the Roman Republic period, the Roman army was organized into legions. Legions were typically manned with 4,200 infantrymen. There were three lines or divisions of the legion. The first, Hastati, the second, Principes, the last, Triari. So the military units that made up the Roman, the Roman Republic included the, the Velites, the Hastati, the Triari, Legionaries, Legionary, and many more. 
Soldiers with unique weapons and armor of the period are as follows. The Velites were the primary skirmishers. They were more apt with using ranged weapons like the Veruta, a throwing spear and javelin hybrid that was six feet long. They were lightly armored with only a parma, which is a small shield, small type of shield. With a, it was a round shield about three feet in length, and they sometimes had a small helmet called the Galea from Wolfhide. These were typically the youngest in the Roman Empire, no, the Roman Republic. These are the youngest soldiers. They're put in the front, and they're sent out first followed by the next soldier. So the Hastati were a line of close quarters melee infantry. They had large rectangular curved shields called scutums, scutums which were two and a half feet wide and four feet tall. They also wore a brass helmet along with breastplate called the peck pectoral. Their main weapon was the gladius, a short sword proficient for thrusting and stabbing. They also wielded two throwing spears known as pylums to disperse enemy formations. So these shields are very interesting. These are the shields that would cover the entire body if they were in formations together. So they would come to the enemy with their shields right and they would be in a long formation other people behind them would cover the top of their heads and the people in front would cover the front and they would take their spears and cut through the side of the of the shields and they were like almost impossible to go through very cool Triari were the third melee infantry line. These soldiers wielded, they had a spear called the Hasta. They were wealthy enough to upgrade their armor to a coat of mail known as the Lorica, Lor, Lor, Lorica for superior protection. An interesting fact, about, interesting fact about them is that they wore helmets with more feathers and plumage, plumage to appear taller to intimidate their opponents. Not too much different, but they had the cool helmets to help stand out and differentiate themselves. Next popular infantryman was the Legionnaire. Legionnaire, he had a gla gladius sword also and a scutum shield similar to the Hastati. They wore a specialized coat of mail that was easy to equip and cheaper to manufacture, called the Lorica Segmentata. A little bit superior armor, same weapons. Interesting. Units of the Roman Republic period. So now we're going to look at the Seleucid Empire. So, for the Seleucid Empire, their army was mainly consisted of infantry and cavalry units. The infantry of the Seleucid Empire mainly consisted of the 
phalanx. The phalanx was a large, dense formation of soldiers that used a long spear-like pike called the sarisa. In one hand, they had the sarisa in one hand and a small shield in the other. Most of the phalanx were composed of chiraspides, that's translated as golden shield, and chalk caspides, that is bronze shields. So they had a large array of shields available to them. So being in the Mediterranean in the 1st and 2nd century BCE, the Seleucid Empire had a lot of encounters with the Roman Empire. So what they would do was they would adapt their infantry soldiers and followed some of the Roman techniques. So what they, some of the things they adopted was using a Celtic-like oval shield along with javelins and a thrusting spear. So these units would be called Romanized. These are Romanized infantry. The Seleucid Empire, they were in the Middle East and around that section, so they had a lot of allies. They had of a lot they had a lot of allies they could depend on for troops for their army. So these would be treated as auxiliary troops. And the weapons they had, they had slings, bows and arrows, and many other weapons. So some of the allied nations to help them were the Arabs, the Dahai, Carmen Carmen Armenians and many more including the I believe the Armenians so their other main infantry was the cavalry so their cavalry units included the horse and camel archers the ajima translated as guards and the hetaiori hata Hetairoi, translated as the companions, were guard cavalry units that rode on horses and had a military lance called the Zaiston. It was a cuirass. No, no. They had a lance called the Zaiston, and they also had a cuirass and helmet as well. Now, I didn't mention the cavalry of the Roman Republic. They did have cavalry but it was uh, I didn't include it in this presentation so through contact with the Parthians it was another allied group that the Seleucid Empire met they met the Parthian cavalry saw that they protected themselves and their horses with scale armor and they would soon adapt that for their army Parthian cavalry also had a long lance called the Kantos. So finally, the Kingdom of Pontus. Kingdom of Pontus was conquered by the Mithriatic dynasty. The so basically the Seleucid Empire circa 281 BCE. So they likely had similar weapons and armor 
and ships around the time of the Cilician pirates when they started coming around during the mid-2nd century BCE. So it was more the same of the Seleucid Empire. We're now on part three. This is the well, the most well-known and well-documented events in history relating to the Seleucid pirates. This is the capture of Gaius Julius Caesar. This is kind of a long story, but it's the most popular and well-documented. Pirates, they're one of their greatest disturbances to the Roman Empire was when they took the nobleman Gaius Julius Caesar when he was about 25 years old, circa 75 BCE. So for a little background into how Caesar got captured, there are two different accounts. One of them involves the victory of Lucius Cornelius Sulla, and the other, it's uh, not very exciting. So the more exciting account goes back to the Sulla and Cinna Marius civil war that occurred in, the, in Rome. So after the war ended, Sulla won and became the dictator of Rome. Now Julius Caesar was the nephew of Gaius Marius. He was the man Sulla fought against during the civil war. To add on top of that, Caesar was married to Lucius Cornelius Cinna. So, no, he was married to Lucius Cornelius Cinna's daughter, Cornelia Cinna Minor, while he was appointed to become high priest of Jupiter. So, this is bad because Lucius Cornelius Cinna was a close ally of Gaius Marius during the Civil War. So due to Julius Caesar's connections to Sulla's opponents, Sulla saw Julius Caesar as a threat and a political opponent. For this reason, he demanded that Caesar divorce his wife Cornelia Cinna Minor and marry someone from his family to unite their families together. However, Julius Caesar declines and loses his position of high priest of Jupiter and is advised to find asylum in Bithynia. That is a Roman province in modern-day Turkey. So he would end up fleeing Rome to Cilicia, in, to Turkey, which is where Cilicia is. So while he took the advice, he went to Turkey and he spent a lot of time in Bithynia. He spent a lot, a lot of time with King Nicodemus. So after some time, Julius Caesar de decides to return to. He decides to return to Rome, but he is interrupted on the way and is captured by Cilician pirates, around the Greek island of Far, Farmas, Farmacusa. And today, the spelling of the island is Pharmaconsi, F-A-R-M-A-K-O-N-I-S-I, or Pharm, Pharmacon, here are the different ones here, Pharmacusa, Pharmaconisi, 
those are the two okay so right around here it's a very small island it doesn't it's not shown on this map it's not in the scale so it's very very small right around this highlighted portion here and that happened at around 75 BCE the other less exciting account records that after Julius Caesar flees to Bithynia for a period he returns to Rome successfully and he returns to Rome in 78 BCE after Lucius Cornelius Sulla dies and he begins his career as a political advocate but shortly afterwards Julius Caesar plans on traveling to the Greek island Rhodes to study oratory under Molin of Rhodes if you don't know that's a famous professor that taught Marcus Tullius Cicero he taught Cicero another popular famous figure in Roman history however during his travels in the GNC Julius Caesar is captured by the Cilician Pirates circa 75 BCE so he can be intercepted anywhere around here Julius Caesar, Julius Caesar is captured by the Cilician Pirates so they took him and Julius Caesar had a lot of attendants with him also and what they did seeing him they saw him and they assumed that he was a man of prominence so they put Julius Caesar up for ransom so they offered his freedom for 20 talents 20 Roman talents is about 520 kilograms of silver with talents weighing up and uh, yeah with talents individually weighing up at around 26 kilograms of silver they're very very valuable in the United States today the value of silver is 70 705 dollars per kilogram so the value of 20 talents in silver today is around 366 thousand dollars very valuable and even at the time it's very extravagant sum for a ransom but to the pirate surprise Julius Caesar offered 50 talents instead over double the asking price it said he was either found it laughable or insulting so he raised the ransom on his head so after raising the ransom Julius Caesar sent some of his attendees out of the ship to gather the 50 talents leaving one friend and two servants with him on the boat for around 38 days he was in the boat for 38 days so during this period of captivity Julius Caesar he treated the whole situation like a minor setback and annoyance he wasn't taking it seriously at all he was joking around threatening them and he was very unpleasant he would join the Cilician Pirates in their games and exercises he played dice with them things of that nature he wrote poems speeches verses and dialogues and performed them to the pirates 
sometimes asking them to recite them also. If they didn't praise him or recite them correctly, he would insult them. It said he would call them beasts, barbarians, and illiterate savages. He's very bold. He would often threaten to crucify them and hang them also. In fact, he was so bold to tell them not to speak or be obnoxious when he went to sleep, or else he would have them crucified. So throughout his captivity, though he was very obnoxious and bold, the pirates thought he was just, you know, a simple immature man. He was 25 at the time, and they didn't think much of his threats. And also, they had to keep him alive if they wanted the ransom money. So eventually, 38 days pass, and Julius Caesar's, his attendants, they came back from Miletus, an ancient city in Turkey, and they paid the 50 talents. They paid off his ransom, and they were all free to go. So Julius Caesar was set free, and he immediately plotted his revenge against the Cilician pirates that captured him. He immediately set sail for the port of Miletus and used his wealth and power to arm and man a squadron of ships to search for the pirates that took him. Having joined the Roman army at around 81 BCE, Julius Caesar sought them out and had a general knowledge of war and tactics and things of that nature. So he found them. He found them laying at anchor among the islands outside Miletus and successfully captured the pirates that took him, along with some other pirates also. Other accounts say he caught most of the pirates that caught him, but either way he caught the men that captured him and put him up for ransom. So. In addition, Julius Caesar, being the rich, ruthless, powerful man that he is, he takes all the money stolen by the pirates, along with the other riches that they stole during their campaigns and careers. So he used all this money to reimburse his ransom, he took the 50 talents back, and probably the cost of outfitting the squadron of ships also. So after that, Julius Caesar takes the pirates to either Pergamon, an ancient city in modern-day Turkey, or Troy. However, there is more evidence from Plutarch and other ancient historians that Caesar, Julius Caesar was taken to Pergamon. Julius Caesar took them to Pergamon. So, while there, Julius Caesar imprisoned them and spoke to Marcus Junius Salinus, the governor of Asia. To, de to deliberate the punishments of the Cilician pirates, wanting them to be executed for their crimes. However, Marcus Junius, Marcus Junius didn't think much of the crimes, and he needed more time to consider the punishment for their crime. So for that reason, Caesar left Marcus Junius and took the prisoners out of jail and brought them back to Pergamon to be crucified. After their crucifixions, Julius Caesar returned to Rome and pursued his political career. So that was the account of Julius Caesar and the Cilician Pirates, one of the most famous stories, uh, including the Cilician Pirates. 
but he wasn't the only Roman who stood against the Cilician pirates. Since around 102 or 100 BCE, Rome has sparsely dealt with the Cilician pirates. These notable instances record the beginning of the fall of the Cilician pirates. So, part 4, Suppression of the Cilician Pirates. These were the further Roman efforts to suppress piracy in the Mediterranean Sea. One of the very first instances of Roman uh, actions against the Cilician Pirates occurred in 102 or 100 BCE when Marcus Antonius the Orator a praetor and proconsular, proconsular of Cilicia. He was sent to fight the Cilician pirates in Cilicia. He was given a fleet and army to, to suppress the ongoing nuisance of Cilician piracy in the Mediterranean Sea, which made trade and travel difficult, not to mention the discovery too. They made discovery, trade, travel, all these problems. So he was ultimately successful in the attacks, leaving the Cilician pirates to retreat to Crete. However, this only left a brief stint in piracy until the pirates returned to Cilicia to resume their operations. Another instance involves Marcus Antonius Creticus. He was a Roman politician and praetor. He is also known as the father of the famous historical figure Mark Antony and was described by the historian Plutarch as a generous, friendly, and honest man. So in 74 BCE, Marcus Antonius, son of the man previously mentioned, son of Marcus Antonius the orator. He received the power and commission to suppress the Cilician pirates located around the, the Greek island of Crete, which is one of the biggest centers of Cilician piracy. Instead, he attacked and plundered areas that he was meant to protect from piracy. Unfortunately, later in his conquest, he, he did eventually attack the Cretans who were allegedly allied with the Cilician pirates but he was utterly defeated, with most of his ships being sunken. He was later described by the Romans as avaricious and incompetent after failing and escaping death through a disgraceful treaty. And the Romans gave him the title Creticus, meaning conqueror of Crete as an insult. He later died in Crete soon after in 72 or 71 BCE. In the, years, in the years circa 78 to 74 BCE, Publius Servilius, Servilius Vatia, Publius Servius Vatia Iscarius, Iscar, Iscaricus, he was proconsular of Cilicia, he was sent to further suppress the Cilician pirates. He led a land and naval campaign against the Cilician pirates, which were very successful. He succeeded in suppressing the pirate strongholds in Pamph Pamphylia and Lycia, 
in circa 77 BCE. However, like Marcus Antonius the orator, he only provided a brief stint in Cilician piracy. So he came over from Rome and attacked Lycia and Pamphylia, these two areas here, right along the Turkey coast, the coast of Turkey, right around where Cilicia is. And if you don't remember, the pirates made they set up watchtowers, strongholds all along the coast. So he came and destroyed all that but it only provided a temporary relief from piracy. In 69 BCE, Quintus Caeculus Metellus Metullus Criticus and three legions, which is over 12,000 soldiers, went to Crete after the Roman Republic received knowledge that the Cretans were supporting Mithridates of Pontus and the Cilician pirates, who were, they were already known for attacking Roman ports. So when they arrived, the Cretans dismissed them and Metellus, Metellus waged war against Lasthenes, the general of Caedonia who fought against the Romans during the conflict and also protected the Cilician pirates. So when so what happened was when they arrived in Crete, the Cretans dismissed them and Met Metellus he waged war against a general named Lasthenes. He was the general of Caedonia and he supported the Cilician pirates. He might have been a pirate himself. So Metellus at one point offered a peaceful surrender to Lasthenes under the conditions that Metellus received all Roman captives under him, all Cilician pirate ships, 4,000 silver talents, and 300 hostages. Lasthenes refused the terms so Metellus eventually defeated the commander at Caedonia and continued to conquer Cyconosis and eventually the entire island until the Cretans surrendered to Pompey the Great in 67 BCE, hoping for a more peaceful captor. He was the most successful in suppressing the Cilician pirates until Pompey the Great, which we'll get into later. So before talking about the defeat and decline, well, they were already declining, but the absolute demolition of Cilician pirates in the Mediterranean, we're going to take out some unique and peculiar, peculiar interactions between Romans and the Cilician pirates. Like I said, not all of them ended up in violence. Some were kind of funny and not well known. So here are some instances. So the, the Roman Republic is well known for widespread, widespread slavery, especially during this period of the Cilician pirates. In the Republican period of Rome, so slaves would be taken 
slaves would take on many roles. There were craftsmen, farmers, and in this particular case, gladiators. One of the most famous Roman slaves in history is Spartacus. Spartacus likely came from Thrace. That is a geological region around the modern day countries of Turkey, Bulgaria, no, I'm sorry, Bulgaria and Greece, around the Balkan Mountains, the Aegean Sea, and the Black Sea. So he was courageous and possessed many heroic traits that made him a great warrior that was capable of rebelling against Rome. It's, not no, it's unknown how he became enslaved, but many sources like Publius Annius Florus, he's a historian, he believes that he was possibly at first a Roman soldier who deserted. Another historian, Appian of Alexandria, he believes that Spartacus was once a free man, likely a Thracian warrior, until he got arrested for fighting against the Romans, probably in a war. So either way, it is historical fact that he was captured by legions and became a gladiator in Capua which is in modern-day Italy, well, it's in Rome, with the same name. However, in circa 73 BCE, Spartacus conspired with other gladiators against Rome and rebelled against Rome for about two years until circa 71 BCE. This whole conflict was known as the Third Servile War, when Spartacus suffered great defeats from Marcus Licinius Crassus, Crassus's legions. It was at this time when he and the other rebels were being driven off to southern Rome with little hope and desperation. So at this point of desperation, somewhere in southern Rome, near the coast where Spartacus made a deal with the Cilician pirates, he made a deal with them to take him and his men to Sicily. Spartacus paid the Cilician pirates to fulfill their end, but they ended up taking his money and leaving him. Soon after, in the same year, Spartacus and his men were likely killed. No, he and his men were killed by Crassus's men, ending the Third Servile War, which lasted from 73 BCE to 71 BCE. This next person, this is a very weird instance in uh, Roman history. So it involves Quintus Sertorius. He was a Roman statesman and renegade general. After being expelled from Maritania with around 3,000 followers, Sertorius worked in alliance with the Cilician pirates to pillage and capture the Spanish coast of Hispania. Together, they would eventually capture and pillage Pitiusa, the southernmost islands of modern-day Balearic Islands of Ibiza, and this would be their base of operations. Unfortunately, word reached Rome of Sertorius's relations with the Solution pirates, and he was, route, he was rooted out with his pirate allies out of the out of the 
Pitiusa Islands. So the Solution Pirates regrouped to Africa where they worked to help a local tyrant, Ascalis, whom uh, Lucius, Cornelius Sula, Lucius Cornelius Sulla wanted to put into power to take the throne of Tingis. Tingis. However, Quintus Sertorius, along with his men, followed them to Africa and rallied the locals around Tingis, or Tingis to aid him in fighting against Ascali and the Cilician pirates. Sertorius was successful and gained control over Tingis, or Tingis, weakening the Cilician pirates in the process. So, the last unique instance takes place in 67 BCE and involves Publius Clodius Pulcher. He was a Roman agitator and populous Roman politician. He was brother-in-law to Quintus Marcius Rex. He was the Roman proconsul in Cilicia who would commission him to command a portion of his war fleet patrolling and suppressing the Cilician pirates along the coast of Cilicia. So his brother-in-law put him in control of a portion of his uh, war fleet and he was tasked with patrolling and suppressing the Cilician pirates along the coast of Cilicia. However, while on patrol, eventually Publius Clodius was captured by the Cilician pirates and was put up for ransom after he insisted he was very valuable. So pirates eventually received a low payout from Ptolemy of Cyprus who offered two talents. The pirates accepted the ransom and were amused by it and released Publius Clodius Pulcher was very disappointed and insulted by the payout. So think about it. Julius Caesar, he set his up to 50 talents. And this guy, he was only offered two talents to save him. That just shows a world of difference how important these two men are. And the pirates were amused probably because this guy, he's an agitator. He was probably talking about how valuable he is, talking himself up, but in the end, he was only worth two talents. So, this is part six, the very last part of the presentation. So, part six recalls the events that led to the fall of the Cilician Pirates. This event caused the end, well, I shouldn't say the end, but the wide-scale piracy in the Mediterranean. So after all of their disturbances, after all Cilician pirates, disturbances to Rome in trade and navigation and etc, Roman has Rome has finally decided to set out a campaign against the Cilician pirates to end their reign of terror in the Mediterranean Sea. So part six, the fall of the Cilician pirates. So Rome has uh, had enough with the Cilician pirates. They raided Ostia, their coastal port. They've captured so many prominent Romans and enough is enough. So 
The Cilician pirates continued intercepting Roman ships and like I already said they destroyed the coastal port city Ostia and the entire consular fleet. They dominated the Mediterranean Sea and made it difficult for trade and navigation. They were also allied with one of Rome's biggest opponents, Mithridates VI Eupator of Pontius. Therefore, a Roman tribune named Aluis Gabinius granted Pompey the Great, also known as Gnaeus Pompeius Magnus, a Roman general and statesman, power to suppress the Cilician pirates through the Lex Gabinia, which was accepted by the People's Assembly in 67 BCE. I don't know if this was a written document or a general agree agreement in the People's Assembly, but it was accepted and Pompey the Great was given power to suppress the Cilician pirates in 67 BCE. So after receiving power to uh, suppress the pirates, Pompey the Great was supplied with a lot of manpower and provisions to wage war against the Cilician pirates. He received 500 ships, a great sum of money, authority equal to provincial governors, either 14, he was given authority equal to provincial, provincial governors. He was also given either 14 or 24 senators, and he had 20 legions of soldiers. This accounts for around 120,000 soldiers, two quaestors, and 5,000 war horses to fight against the pirates to fix the famine and inflation of food in Rome. Pompey the Great was successful in suppressing and essentially ending Cilician pirate operations in the Mediterranean Sea. He did this by dividing the Mediterranean Sea into 13 sections, each assigned to a legate appointed by him. Using around 60 ships spread across the 13 sections, he was able to push the pirates towards the legates to be executed. However, some Cilician pirates survived and retreated section to section until they were they made it to Cilicia back to their home base and uh, they retreated to their capital Corasisium which is modern-day Al Alanya telling the rest of the pirates what had happened soon after care after careful planning they decided to move their remaining ships to the port of Corasisium in a final stand against Pompey the Great's fleet. So during the Cilician pirate retreat back to Cilicia, Pompey the Great regrouped all of his troops and met them at Brudisium. That is in modern day Brindisi in Rome or now southern Italy. So after further planning, Pompey the Great led all of his men on a direct attack in Cilicia and Corasisium, beginning the Battle of Corasisium. The Cilician pirates were prepared and fought back against Pompey the Great's fleet, but they were defeated and they were unsuccessful.
After the defeat of the Seleucian pirates, Pompey the Great continued to besiege and demolish all of the strongholds and buildings owned by the Seleucian pirates. He traveled with his soldiers all across Cilicia, all the way up to the Taurus Mountains. In the end, Pompey took around 20,000 Cilicians, recovered a lot of money and valuables, and captured around 90 pirate ships. So, the surviving Cilician pirates often surrendered, they surrendered themselves to Pompey the Great and eventually revealed the location of other pirates. Pompey surprisingly granted a new way of life and showed mercy to those who surrendered. He strategically settled those Cilicians into newly created settlements in Cilicia, including Malus Epiphania, Epiphania, Sali, and Adana, where they would become farmers and help Rome end their famine and inflation of food. So, here's a quote from the Greek historian Plutarch again, recounting the resettlement of the Cilicians. Upon this, con here's a quote here. Upon this consideration, he determined to translate these pirates from sea to land and give them a taste of an honest and innocent course of life by living in towns and tilling the ground. Some, therefore, were admitted into the small and half-peopled towns of the Cilicians, who, for an enlargement of their territories, were willing to receive them. Others he planted in the city of the Solians, which had been lately laid waste by Tigranes, king of Armenia, and which he now restored. But the largest number were settled in Dime, the town of Archaea, at that time extremely depopulated and possessing an abundance of good land. That was Plutarch. So, after Pompey the Great's victory, the remaining Cilician pirates remaining in the Greek island of Crete submitted, submitted themselves to him, offering Crete to become a Roman province under his name and charge. However, Quintus Caecilius Metellus Creticus in 67 BCE was already in Crete repressing the Cilician pirates along with three legions of soldiers. So, he's already there, and he's very harsh to them. He's continuing to attack the Cretans and the Cilician pirates, and he was mentioned before in the previous part. So, after Crete surrendered to Pompey the Great, he commanded Metellus to leave the island along with his troops. However, Metellus continued to make a complete conquest of the island, treating the populace harshly. Pompey the Great, having already accepted the submission, defended the pirates from the war efforts of Quintus Caeculus Metellus Criticus, one of his greatest rivals, by sending his lieutenant Lucius, Lucius Octavius. This ended the war conflict in Crete and it became an official Roman province in the same year, 67 BCE. Now, it is debated whether 
he sent his lieutenant Lucius Octavius. I couldn't find any accounts of him, and the accounts that I found of him put him way like 10, 20 years back from these events. So take that with a grain of salt, but the point is Pompey protected the Cretans from Metellus, and it became a Roman province in the same year, 67 BCE. So, all in all, the defeat and resettling of the Cilician pirates took about three months under Pompey the Great to handle circa 67 until the summer of 66 BCE. This marked an end to the major infestation of piracy in the Mediterranean Sea since the rise of the Cilician pirates during the late 2nd century to mid 1st century BCE. This is the complete history of the Cilician pirates. So thank you for watching or listening to this presentation and I hope you enjoyed. Please be sure to like and subscribe if you haven't already. Leave a comment and let me know if I missed anything. If you like this presentation then I hope you can send no, I hope you can stream this episode on my Anchor podcast. It's in the description. And if you are watching this on YouTube, on my Anchor podcast, if you're watching this on YouTube, then I'll leave a link to my Anchor podcast. And if you're watching on the Anchor podcast, then I'll put a link to the YouTube. And thank you, and I hope you learned something new. This is not well documented or talked about anywhere online, so I decided to take in all the research, look through everything, and bring up this whole history. I don't know anything else about them, and uh, or any accounts of them either, so this is all I could find. Thank you for listening, and that's the end. <laughs>